Hello everyone and welcome to the Unanswered Questions True Crime Podcast. I have spent hours and hours investigating this. He basically told her that people have been killed. Journalists, independent investigators, people like that disappeared. It frightened her to the bone. There's more to the story than meets the eye. There were rumors of torture and homicide and sexual abuse, all sorts of egregious, horrendous crimes. He was polygraphed three times. Each of those three showed evasions. His resumes were a skeleton of truth. He was mad at the world, and particularly mad at the government. The study that he commissioned that described a fictional terrorist attack. If people have died over this, it means you're getting close to the truth. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to say, what the fuck? Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we will endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions. So I hope you enjoy and as always leave me some feedback on what you think about the show and rate it as well. Now on to the show, this week we'll be talking about the Harrod Wilson resignation conspiracy theories. Now, since the mid-1970s, a variety of conspiracy theories have emerged regarding British Labour Prime Minister Harold Wilson, who served as the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom from 1964 to 1970 and 1974 to 1976. These conspiracy theories range from Wilson having been a Soviet agent, a claim which MI5 investigated and found to be false, to Wilson being the victim of treasonous plots by conservative-leaning elements in MI5 and the British military, e.g. the Clockwork Orange plot, which I'll go into later in this podcast, claims which Wilson himself made. Now, James Harold Wilson, Baron Wilson of, and I'm going to butcher this name, Rivelux, born on the 11th of March 1916 and died on the 24th of May 1995, was a British statesman and Labour politician who served as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom twice, from, as I said before, October of 1964 to June of 1970, and again from March of 1974 to April of 1976. He was the leader of the Labour Party from 1963 to 1976 and was a member of Parliament, MP, from 1945 to 1983. Wilson is the only Labour leader to have formed administrations following four general elections. Born in Huddersfield, Yorkshire, to a politically active middle-class family, Wilson won a scholarship to attend Royds Hall Grammar School and went on to study modern history at Jesus College, Oxford. He was later an economic history lecturer at New College, Oxford and a research fellow at University College, Oxford. Elected to Parliament in 1945 for the seat of Ormskirk, sorry if I get that name wrong, in Lancashire, Wilson was immediately appointed to the Attlee government as a parliamentary secretary. He became secretary for overseas trade in 1947 and was elevated to the cabinet shortly thereafter as president of the Board of Trade. In 1950, he moved to represent the nearby seat of Huyton. Following Labour's defeat at the 1955 election, Wilson joined the Shadow Cabinet as Shadow Chancellor and was moved to the role of Shadow Foreign Secretary in 1961. When Labour leader Hugh Gatskell died suddenly in January of 1963, Wilson won the subsequent leadership election to replace him, becoming leader of the opposition. Wilson led Labour to a narrow victory at the 1964 election. His first period as Prime Minister saw a period of low unemployment and relative economic prosperity, although this would later become hindered by significant problems with Britain's external balance of payments. The Wilson's government oversaw significant social changes in the United Kingdom, abolishing both capital punishment and theatre censorship, partially decriminalising male homosexuality in England and Wales, relaxing the divorce laws, limiting immigration, and liberalising birth control and abortion law. 
In the midst of this program, Wilson called a snap election in 1966, which Labour won with a much increased majority. Wilson's government armed Nigeria during the Biafran War, and in 1969 he sent tr British troops to Northern Ireland. After losing the 1970 election to Edward Heath's Conservatives, Wilson chose to remain in the Labour leadership and spent four years back in the role of leader of the opposition, before leading Labour through the February 1974 election, which resulted in a hung parliament. Although the Conservatives had won more votes than Labour, Heath's talks with the Liberal Party failed, and Wilson was appointed Prime Minister for a second time, now as leader of a minority government. Wilson called a snap election in October 1974, which gave Labour a small majority. During his second term as Prime Minister, Wilson oversaw the referendum that confirmed the UK's membership of the European communities. In March of 1976, he suddenly announced his resignation as Prime Minister and was succeeded by James Callaghan. Wilson remained in the House of Commons until retiring in 1983, when he was elevated to the House of Lords as Lord Wilson of Rivalux. Sorry if I get that name wrong. Historians evaluate Wilson in terms of leading the Labour Party through difficult political issues with considerable skill. Wilson's reputation was low when he left office and was still poor in 2016. Key issues he faced included the role of public ownership, membership of the European communities, and how to avoid committing British troops to the Vietnam War. Wilson's approach to socialism was regarded by some in the Labour Party as too moderate, by others too left-wing. A member of Labour's soft left, he joked about leading a cabinet made up of mostly social democrats, comparing himself to a Bolshevik revolutionary presiding over a Tarist cabinet, but there was little to divide him ideologically from the majority of his cabinet. His stated ambitions of substantially improving Britain's long-term economic performance, applying technology more democratically, and reducing inequality went to some extent unfulfilled. Now we get into the background of these so-called conspiracy theories. Soviet defector, and I'm going to butcher this name, Anatoly Goltsin, is said to have told a British intelligence officer that Wilson was a KGB operative and that former Labour Party leader Hugh Gatskill had been assassinated by the KGB to have the pro-US Gatskill replaced as party leader by Wilson. However, Christopher Andrew, the official historian for Britain's MI5, has described Goltsin as an unreliable conspiracy theorist. End quote. In his memoir, Spycatcher, 1987, former MI5 officer Peter Wright stated that the head of the CIA's counterintelligence division, James Angleton, told him that Wilson was a Soviet agent when Wilson became Prime Minister after the 1964 general election. Wright said that Angleton referred to his assertion coming from a source, whom he did not name, but who was probably Goltson. Goltson's word had been frequently taken heed of by Angleton, who had grown suspicious of the loyalty of many political figures, such as Henry Kissinger. According to Wright, Angleton offered to provide further information on the condition that MI5 guaranteed to keep the allegations from political circles, but the management of MI5 declined to accept restrictions on the use of the information, and Angleton told them nothing more. According to Wright, at the end of the 1960s, MI5 received information from two Czechoslovak defectors, and I'm going to butcher these names, I do apologise, Josef Frolik and Frantisek August, who had fled to the West, alleging the Labour Party had almost certainly been penetrated by the Soviets. The two gave a list of Labour MPs and trade unionists as Soviet agents. MI5 maintained a file on Wilson under the name of Henry Worthington, repeatedly investigating him over the course of several decades, before officially concluding that Wilson had no relationship with the KGB, nor did it ever find evidence of Soviet penetration of the Labour Party. Now we come to the 1968 plot. 
In his 1976 memoir, Walking on Water, Hugh Cudlip recounts a meeting he arranged at the request of Cecil King, the head of the international publishing corporation IPC, between King and Lord Mountbatten of Burma, Prince Charles's great-uncle and mentor. The meeting took place on the 8th of May 1968. Attending were Mountbatten, King, Cudlip and Sir Solly Zuckerman, the chief scientific advisor to the British Parliament. Now, according to Cudlip, quote, Cecil awaited the arrival of Sir Solly and then at once expounded his views on the gravity of the national situation, the urgency for action, and then embarked upon a shopping list of the Prime Minister's shortcomings. He explained that in the crisis he foresaw as being just around the corner, the government would disintegrate, there would be bloodshed in the streets, and the armed forces would be involved. The people would be looking to somebody like Lord Mountbatten as the titular head of the new administration, somebody renowned as a leader leader of men who would be capable, backed by the best brains and administrators in the land, to restore public confidence. He ended with a question to Mountbatten. Would he agree to be the titular head of a new administration in such circumstances? Mountbatten asked for the opinion of Zuckerman, who stated that the plan amounted to treason and left the room. Mountbatten expressed the same opinion and King and Cudlip left. King subsequently decided to override the editorial independence of the Daily Mirror when he instructed the paper to publish a front-page article he'd written that called for Wilson to be removed through some sort of extra-parliamentary action. The board of the IPC met and demanded his resignation for his breach of procedure and the damage to the interests of IPC as a public company. He refused, so was dismissed by the board on the 30th of May 1968. End quote. In addition to Mountbatten's refusal to participate in King's mooted plot, there is no evidence of any other conspirators. Cudlip himself appears to see the meeting as an example of extreme egotism on King's part. A late memoir by Harold Evans, who was editor of the Sunday Times in 1968, said the Times had egged on King's plans for a coup. Quote, Rees-Mogg's Times backed the Conservative Party in every general election, but it periodically expressed yearnings for a coalition of the right centre. In the late 1960s, it encouraged Cecil King's notion of a coup against Harold Wilson's Labour government in favour of a government of business leaders led by Lord Robins. In the autumn election of 1974, it predicted that economic crisis would produce a coalition government government of national unity well inside five years and urged one there and then between conservatives and liberals, end quote. William Rees Mogg called for a coalition in an 8th of December 1968 Times editorial entitled The Danger to Britain a day before King visited the Times office. A BBC program, The Plot Against Harold Wilson, broadcast in 2006, reported that in tapes recorded soon after his resignation, Wilson stated that for eight months of his premiership, he did not feel he knew what was going on, fully in security. Wilson alleged two plots in the late 1960s and mid-1970s, respectively. He said that plans had been hatched to install Lewis Mountbatten as interim prime minister. He also claimed that ex-military leaders had been building up private armies in anticipation of wholesale domestic liquidation. On a separate track, elements within MI5 had also, the BBC program reported, spread black propaganda that Wilson and Marcia Williams, Wilson's private secretary, were Soviet agents, and that Wilson was an IRA sympathiser, apparently with the intention of helping the Conservatives win the February 1974 election. Now we come to the alleged 1974 military coup plot. On the BBC television program The Plot Against Harold Wilson, broadcast on the 16th of March 2006 on BBC Two, it was claimed that there were threats of a coup d'etat against the Wilson government, which were corroborated by leading figures of the time on both the left and the right. Wilson told two BBC journalists, Barry Penrose and Roger Courtier, who recorded the meetings on a cassette tape recorder, that he feared he was being undermined by MI5. 
The first time was in the late 1960s after the Wilson government devalued the pound sterling, but the threat faded after Conservative leader Edward Heath won the election of 1917. However, after a coal miners strike, Heath decided to hold an election to renew his mandate to govern in February of 1974, but lost narrowly to Wilson. There was again talk of a military coup, with rumours of Lord Mountbatten as head of an interim administration after Wilson had been deposed. In 1974, interestingly enough, the army occupied Heathrow Airport on the grounds of training for possible IRA terrorist action at the airport, although the military stated that this was a planned military exercise, Downing Street was not informed in advance, and Wilson himself interpreted it as a show of strength or warning being made by the army. Then we come to the Peter Wright allegations and Clockwork Orange. Peter Wright claimed that he was confronted by two of his MI5 colleagues and that they said to him, quote, Wilson's a bloody menace and it's about time the public knew the truth and we'll have him out this time we'll have him out, end quote. Wright alleged there was a plan to leak damaging information about Wilson and that this had been approved by up to 30 officers. As the 1974 election approached, the plan went MI5 would leak selective details of the intelligence about Labour leaders, especially Wilson, to sympathetic journalists. According to Wright, MI5 would use their contacts in the press and the trade unions to spread around the idea that Wilson was considered a security risk. The matter was to be raised in Parliament for maximum effect. However, Wright declined to let them see the files on Wilson and the plan was never carried out, but Wright does claim it was a carbon copy of the Zionov letter which was believed to have helped destabilise the first Labour government in 1974. Now, the Zinoviev letter was a fake document published and sensationalised by the British Daily Mail newspaper four days before the general election of October 1924. The letter purported to be a directive from Grigory Zinoviev, the head of the Communist International Comintern in Moscow to the Communist Party of Great Britain, CPGB, ordering it to engage in seditious activities. It claimed that the normalisation of UK relations with the Soviet Union under a Labour government would radicalise the British working class and put the CPGB in a favourable position to pursue a Bolshevik-style revolution. It further suggested that these effects would extend throughout the British Empire. The right-wing press depicted the letter as a grey foreign subversion of British politics and blamed the incumbent Labour Party for the promoting of the policy of political reconciliation and open trade with the Soviet Union on which the scheme appeared to depend. The election resulted in a strong victory for the Conservatives and the continued collapse of the Liberal Party. Labour supporters often blamed the letter, at least in part, for their party's defeat. The letter was widely taken to be authentic upon publication and for some time afterwards, but historians now agree it was a forgery. The letter perhaps aided the Conservative Party by hastening the ongoing collapse of the Liberal Party vote, which in turn produced a Conservative landslide. AJP Taylor argued that the letter's most important impact was the mindset of Labourteurs, who for years afterwards blamed foul play for their defeat, thereby misunderstanding the political forces at work and postponing what Taylor regarded as necessary reforms in the Labour Party. On the 22nd of March 1987, former MI5 officer James Miller claimed that the Ulster Workers' Council strike of 1974 had been promoted by MI5 to help destabilise Wilson's government. In July of 1987, Labour MP Ken Livingstone used his maiden speech to raise the allegations of a former Army press officer, Colin Wallace, that the Army press officer in Northern Ireland had been used in the 1970s as part of a smear campaign codenamed Clockwork Orange against Harold Wilson and other British and Irish politicians. 
Now, Clockwork Orange was a secret British security services project alleged to have involved a right-wing smear campaign against British politicians from 1974 to 1975. The black propaganda led Prime Minister Harold Wilson to fear that the security services were preparing a coup d'etat. The operation takes its name from a Clockwork Orange, a 1971 Stanley Kubrick film based on Anthony Burgess' 1962 novel of the same name. The project was undertaken by members of the British Intelligence Services and the British Army Press Office in Northern Ireland, whose job also included routine public relations work and placing disinformation stories in the press as part of a psychological warfare operation against the provisional Irish Republican Army. One of the project members, Colin Wallace, who was a press officer at the Army headquarters in Northern Ireland, also claims that in 1973, after MI5 became the primary intelligence service in Northern Ireland, the project began giving briefings to foreign journalists against members of Wilson's government. These briefings included distributing forged documents in an attempt to show that the victims were communists or Irish Republican sympathisers, leading a campaign to destabilise Northern Ireland or taking bribes. After his resignation, Wilson claimed that he was the target of a planned military coup. He also denounced a campaign to smear him, staged by members of MI5, in order to force his resignation. According to journalist Barry Penrose, Wilson spoke darkly of two military coups, which he said had been planned to overthrow his government in the late 1960s and in the mid-1970s. In January 1974, the British Army carried out Operation Marimon, the occupation of London's Heathrow Airport, on the grounds of training for possible violent, non state actor activity at the air terminal without Wilson's foreknowledge. The operation was repeated on three more occasions in June, July and September. These military deployments were perceived by many in the left as a practice run for a military takeover rather than an anti-terrorist exercise. Now I'm going to butcher this name. Irene Neve, a conservative member of parliament, was alleged to have been involved with Clockwork Orange and to have briefed Wallace on a number of occasions. In the House of Commons on the 30th of January 1990, Junior Defence Minister Archie Hamilton admitted the existence of a proposed project called Clockwork Orange, although he went on to say that the project was never approved for operation and that there was no evidence that the proposed project involved a smear campaign against politicians. Now we get into the recent scholarship. In the Defense of the Realm 2009, the first authorized history of MI5 by Christopher Andrew, it was shown that MI5 kept a file on Wilson from 1945 when he became an MP because communist civil servants claimed that he had similar political sympathies. However, Defense of the Realm claims that there was no conspiracy against Wilson and repeats the Callaghan government claim that there, were, there was no bugging of 10 Downing Street. Doubt was cast on this claim, however, in 2010 when newspaper reports made detailed allegations that the bugging of 10 Downing Street had been omitted from the history for, for wider public interest reasons. The government did not issue a denial of the allegations. In 1963, on Harold Macmillan's orders following the Perfumo affair, which is a case I'll cover in another podcast episode, MI5 bugged the cabinet room, the waiting room, and the Prime Minister's study until the bugs were removed in 1977 on James Callaghan's orders. From the records, it is unclear if Harold Wilson or Edward Heath knew of the bugging, and no recorded conversations were retained by MI5 that we know of, so the bugs were possibly never activated. 
Intelligence historian John Moran concluded in 2014, quote, The characterization of Harold Wilson as paranoid does not take account of the political context of the time, which was characterized by a political style generally which applied to both left and right, including MI5 itself. The suspicion of Wilson and others towards the activities of the security services and other figures resulted from concrete domestic and international developments. Andrew is correct to be skeptical, and there remains limited evidence of a plot, if a plot is defined as a tightly organized high-level conspiracy with a detailed plan. However, there is evidence of a conspiracy, a loosely based connected series of unlawful maneuvers against an elected government by a group of like-minded figures. End quote. With that, this case remains open, but with many unanswered questions, it still remain unanswered. Please rate the show and let me know what you guys think about this and the many other cases I've covered. You can follow me on all major social media platforms, YouTube, BitChute, Dailymotion. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, links are all down below in the description. If you have a case you'd like me to have a look at or cover, don't hesitate to send me a message. I'm your host, and this has been the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Until next time, next on unanswered questions. Now, OneCoin is a fraudulent cryptocurrency scheme conducted by offshore companies OneCoin Limited based in Bulgaria and registered in Dubai and OneLife Network Limited registered in Belize. 